This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Let's hit it! Give me a vacation! Vacation! Give me a wave! Surfing! Give me a city tour! The trolley! Give me animals! The zoo! Give me some sea life! <laughs> Give me museums! Park. Give me a woo! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Hello and welcome to Food Stuff. I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And I'm Annie Reese. And today we're going to talk about the fork. Yeah, we've already done a spork episode. And and Aunt Lauren mentioned that she'd run across some kind of scandalous history of the fork. Yeah, they didn't catch on for quite a while. But okay, yeah, let's let's get right into it. Fork! What is it? Well, I guess uh, (laughs) we can describe it. It's a pronged utensil used for spearing foods. Oh, a stick with points. There you go. If you will. (laughs) But there are a lot of variations on them. You've got fruit fork, salad fork, dessert fork, fish fork, deli fork, snail fork, serving fork, roast fork, asparagus fork, cheese fork, chip fork, crab fork, olive fork, oyster fork, pastry fork, pickle fork, pie fork, relish fork, suck it fork, tea fork, terrapin fork, toasting fork, spaghetti fork. Oh, this isn't even all the forks. There's more, and I had to cut down the list. You're, you're slacking on your fork wrap here. I know. Annie. I could have gone on for probably like four more lines. <laughs> That's that's going to be in our deep cut of this episode. Yes. <laughs> the, the B-side. <laughs> <laughs> the name comes from the Latin word for pitchfork, furca. Uh, which was borrowed by Germanic languages as well. I think in, in Little Mermaid it was the dinglehopper. Yeah. Oh, oh, the dinglehopper. A Little Mermaid throwback. Mm-hmm. Uh, and history's had some strong emotions about the fork. Take this 1960s poem from Charles Simic. This strange thing must have crept right out of hell. It resembles a bird's foot 
worn around the cannibal's neck, as you hold it in your hand, as you stab with it into a piece of meat. It is possible to imagine the rest of the bird, its head, which, like your fist, is large, bald, beakless, and blind. Oh, yeah. I should have done that in slam poetry style. Oh. Oh, well. Okay, next time. That whole spike with points thing is the crux, if you will, of fork technology. And it's what developed very slowly over time. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, slight tangent. Do, do y'all remember any of the parody razor commercials that happened over the past couple decades? Uh, it started in the 1970s when uh, Saturday Night Live, in response to a, a new double-bladed razor, did a parody about a three-bladed razor. Ah, mm-hmm. It was all lols until that actually happened in the 1990s, invoking further parodies. An Onion article in 2004 titled, Everything, We're Doing Five Blades, which happened a year later. Um, and then SNL and Mad TV responded with like 14 and 20 blade razors, which have, for the good of all of us, not come to fruition. And look, this is a long tangent, but this is also definitely how forks have happened. Yes, it's a very slow progression. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very slow and kind of hilarious. Yeah. And we're going to get to that just as soon as we take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach! Give me great food. Tacos! Give me adventure. Hiking! Give me a date night. Sunset cruise! Give me some smiles. Cheese! Give me more beaches. Beaches! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at sandiego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. So, the precursor to the fork is the simple cooking spike. Used to spear, roast, and lift food, but it would be thousands of years before a second spike developed. 
and the single spike implement would last into the Middle Ages. You're making this sound very epic. (laughs) I'm trying. It's a fork. (laughs) No, you're (laughs) succeeding. In the world of cutlery, the fork in its modern form is one of the newest eating implements on the block. More primitive, two-pronged versions used mainly for cooking and serving go way back to ancient times, though. Uh, These were larger than the kitchen forks we have these days to accommodate, you know, fire Uh as opposed to just a pan. Um, They were based on pitchforks and probably not very much smaller. Which is kind of hilarious to imagine people trying to eat with these things. Oh, yeah. That's why they didn't. That's why they didn't. Yeah. They're like, never mind. They're like, this is a bad idea. Yeah. (laughs) At the table, people would rather use spoons or their fingers. Or knives. People had a a knife or small dagger on hand most of the time, and that was the most all-purpose bit of cutlery for both slicing and conveying food to your mouth. Mm Mm-hmm. Or other bits of food, like bread. Yeah. Yeah. Ancient Egyptians, Greeks, and Romans were some of the first to use table forks, and archaeologists unearthed forks made out of bone belonging to China's Qijia culture from 2400 to 1900 BCE. Hmm. Persian nobility may have used something resembling the fork during the 8th and 9th century. And by the 11th century, forks were being used by the Byzantine Empire. But they were probably, for the most part, absent and regarded with suspicion by much of Europe. Ooh. Probably because it's resemblance to the pitchfork, which made people think of the devil. They, they were super fancy forks, though, like, like we gilded sweetmeat forks have survived. Hmm. Which brings us to the wedding of a Byzantine princess to Italian doge Domenico Selvo set in Venice in 1004 CE. The princess caused a bit of a scandal or perhaps a minor scandal, <laughs> when at the wedding feast, she whipped out a golden fork. <laughs> yeah. The clergy roundly condemned this as a sinful show of decadence. She also brought the napkin and finger bowl, too, which oh. that's pretty, that's a little over the top, <laughs> according to the time. A manuscript from that time written and illustrated by St. Peter Domain read, Such was the luxury of her habits that she deigned not to touch her food with her fingers, but would command her eunuchs to cut it up into small pieces, which she would impale on a certain golden instrument with two prongs and thus carry to her mouth. God in his wisdom has provided man with natural forks. His fingers. They were serious about this. Like there was, like they did not forget there was a follow-up. Right. After her death from the plague a few years later, Domaine claimed it was God's punishment for her lavishness, writing, This woman's vanity was hateful to Almighty God, and so unmistakably did he take his revenge. For he raised over her the sword of his divine justice, so that her whole body did putrefy and all her limbs begin to wither. For using a fork. Fork. That, I... Just, my brain just ran out of words. <laughs> it was a different time. Different, different era. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> after that, inventory documents and wills show that the fork slowly spread through Europe. In the case of wills, largely sucket forks used for eating candied syrupy fruit. Still, middle-aged folks generally ate off st- stale rounds of bread called trenchers. Sort of scooping. Yeah. Yeah. 
In the 1400s, forks started appearing in Italian cookbooks, which brings us to our second marriage and wedding of the episode. The, the second wedding scandal. I know. Two wedding scandals in one episode. In her 1533 wedding to King Henry II, Catherine de Medici brought with her silver forks, so not gold and silver, from Italy to France. There was much laughter as members of the court got food all over themselves and their attempts to use this new fangled eating device. Ah. De Medici was a trendsetter and all things Italian were fashionable thanks to the Renaissance. Catherine went on a tour of sorts during the 1560s, appearing at huge public festivals to demonstrate the monarchy's power, wherein onlookers would watch as she ate with forks. Huh. Mm-hmm. Two types of forks were the norm at the time, hefty, two-pronged things used mainly for meat and small, dainty ones used for desserts. But there was still resistance. Oh, fork resistance. Yes, still going strong. In 1605, an allegorical novel about Henry III's courtiers penned anonymously featured an island inhabited by these over-the-top hermaphrodites that ate with forks. How feminine and defensive. No, how... Not caring that they were spilling more food than they were consuming in their excess. Just deplorable. During the time of Henry III, forks were still used mostly by the well-off, who would travel with these fancy cases of silverware. Uh, And according to Carolyn Young's essay, Feeding Desire, the fork came with unsettlingly... I had trouble saying that, so I had to practice. A feminine aura until 1897. Until about that time, British sailors turned down eating with what they perceived to be unmanly forks. Mm-hmm. No way. <laughs> Real men don't eat with forks. Right. They don't eat quiche. They don't eat with forks. Hmm. We're learning a lot. <laughs> um, an English traveler named Thomas Coriate traveled across continental Europe and wrote about his observations in 1608 in... Crudités hastily gobbled up in five months, or creates crudités. <laughs> Great titles, both. <laughs> yes, he uh, he explained how how the Italians did this mysterious thing in which they they used a uh, a fork and a knife to cut and eat their food, and then kind of summed up by saying, uh, the reason of this their curiosity is because the Italian cannot by any means endure to have his dish touched with fingers, seeing all men's fingers are not alike clean. Hereupon, I myself thought good to imitate the Italian fashion by this forked cutting of meat, not only while I was in Italy, but also in Germany, and oftentimes in England, since I came home. And after this published, Coriate's friends called him Fursifer. <laughs> Fursifer. At the time, this meant both fork-bearer and man doomed to hang. Oh. Mm-hmm. Fursifer. Pretty good nickname. Yeah. As ideas about hygiene changed, the fork grew in popularity, now with three and sometimes four tines with a slight curve, which made it more functional as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, flatware around this time, especially for the non-royal but still well-off, was uh, widespreadly a part of one's personal tool set. Uh, uh, e- even relatively common, common folks would, would carry their own case with a knife, fork, and spoon for use at home, uh, when they were guests in other people's homes, and when they were traveling about. And uh, because they were these mobile devices, the, the, the development of that flared shape of, of the handles and also of, of the, the curvature of the fork was partially to help keep the, the business ends of everything in check when they were all bundled up in your pocket or pack. 
Charles I declared in 1633, it is decent to use a fork. <laughs> But it was still mostly only utilized by the upper class. King Louis XIV told his children, however, to ignore the instructions of their tutor and stay away from those forks. Yeah. Yeah. In 1760, a French aristocrat described a fancy dinner party in Turkey, making jibes at their lack of experience with the fork. Quote, I saw one woman throughout the dinner taking olives with her fingers and then impaling them on her fork in order to eat them in the French manner. No, that's not how that works. No. 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 And I can't. I mean, I've done similar things. Well, sure. But, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> this was uh, this was also just a wee bit after well-appointed homes began including whole specific rooms meant just for dining and multiple sets of silverware for when guests came over. Multiple sets. What? Mm-hmm. With industrialization, more commoners began using the fork. King Louis XIII's chief minister, Cardinal Richelieu, who found the, the practice a frequent guest used to clean his teeth with his knife extremely gross. Also dangerous? Yeah. Ugh, ugh. So gross, the cardinal had the tips of the guest knives ground down. The court emulated the practice, eager to copy royalty, and in 1669... Francis King Louis XIV declared that pointed knives at the dinner table and on the street were illegal. Whoa. Yeah. Following this decree, existing knives were rounded down and new knives were made with rounded tips. Huh. And this brings us to kind of an interesting um, difference in eating habits. Yeah. Um, at the beginning of the 17th century, forks were still not typical of the American household, where they would instead use the new blunt-tipped imported knives to cut while steadying the food they were slicing into with a spoon in their left or non-dominant hand, um, the diner would then have to switch hands so that the food could be scooped up and eaten with a spoon. And this practice led to the zigzag method Americans still use to this day. More on that a little bit later. Mm -hmm. One American diner wrote of the fork in the 1800s, Eating peas with a fork is as bad as trying to eat soup with a knitting needle. <laughs> And in 1842, Charles Dickens noted of people on a Pennsylvania riverboat, they thrust their broad-bladed knives and two-pronged forks further down their throats than I ever saw the same weapons go before, except in the hands of a skilled juggler. <laughs> wow. Uh, it's suggested in the Oxford Encyclopedia of Food and Drink that American reluctance to adopt forks traces to Puritan ideals from the Pilgrims' original colonies. Uh, at the time, the newfangled and often upper-class use of forks would have represented everything that they were turning away from. Oh. And that's why it took so long to catch on over here. That's true. I never really thought about that. Yeah. Despite resistance, the fork had made it. By 1851, <laughs> finally made it to the big time. And by 1887, in, in America, in America, yeah, yeah. In by 1887, etiquette books included best practices for not embarrassing yourself with a fork. Oh yeah. Here's an excerpt from an 1887 book on manners. The fork has now become the favorite and fashionable utensil for conveying food to the mouth. First, it crowded out the knife, and now, in its pride, it has invaded the domain of the once powerful spoon. The spoon is now pretty well subdued also, and the fork, insolent and triumphant, has become a sumptuary tyrant. <laughs> the true devotee of fashion does not dare to use a spoon except to stir his tea or to eat his soup with and meekly eats his ice cream with a fork and pretends to like it. There were seriously ice cream forks, though. 
I mean, yeah. like like fancy tables at the time uh, might have had an ice cream fork. And additionally, uh, you know, is like status symbols, oyster forks, salad forks, lettuce forks, melon forks, strawberry forks, sandwich forks, and bread forks. By the turn of the 20th century, the fashionable advice was to never use a knife or spoon when a fork will do. These... It's intense. This is also the time uh, around about here that we hit peak tines. Peak tines? Five tined, six tined, and yes, even seven tined forks appeared. What? Generally as serving forks, not eating forks, and the ones with the most tines were apparently sardine forks or bacon forks. If you've never seen a picture of a seven tined fork, go now. (laughs) I'm resisting the urge. It's, It's beautiful in its ridiculousness. Um, and materials technology wound up having a lot to do with the spread of forks. Um, up until the 1700s, you, you wanted good quality forks to be made of silver because silver, unlike many other metals, will not react with acidic foods and uh, kind of ruin the taste. But silver, of course, is expensive. Mm-hmm. When silver plating, therefore, was invented around the 1700s, it allowed what would soon become an expanding middle class of Europeans access to uh, fancy flatware. And beginning in the 1900s, you get (laughs) so many more, even more types of forks, from Bakelite forks in the 1940s to the bright neon ones of the 1980s. Oh, yeah, plastic. Plastic makes it possible. And comparisons to chopsticks have pretty much existed since the fork has in our more modern time. And here's one written, uh, written comparison by Roland Barce in the 1970s. By chopsticks, food becomes no longer a prey to which one does violence, meat, flesh over which one does battle, but a substance harmoniously transferred. They transform the previously divided substance into bird food and rice into a flow of milk. Maternal, they tirelessly perform the gesture which creates the mouthful, leaving to our elementary manners, armed with pikes and knives, that of predation. Oh, yeah. So kind of more nonsense. Um, People have a lot to say about forks. They really do. They really do. I guess we're talking about them, so. I Yeah, we just did. We're doing a whole episode. We're not even over yet. Nope. Yeah, but we are going to take one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach! Give me great food. Tacos! Give me adventure. Hiking! Give me a date night. Sunset cruise! Give me some smiles. Cheese! Give me more beaches. Beaches! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at sandiego.org. 
funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins. Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Okay, so some kind of science-y things about the fork. Yes, science and future forks. Future forks, starting with the smelly fork. The smelly fork? Don't you want it so badly? No, I want my fork. Okay, I thought I wanted my forks to be neutral. Am I wrong, Annie? You, mm, no, probably not. <laughs> but this does, I uh, am intrigued by this. So it's not really called the smelly fork. It's called the <laughs> Aroma Revolution Kit. And it's this kit that comes with four forks and 21-cent vials, things like wasabi and passion fruit. And you put a drop of the desired scent on a paper tab that you then insert at the base of the fork. And then, if all goes according to plan, the scent will influence the food you're actually eating with the fork. So maybe tricking your brain with the scent of butter rather than actual butter. Like you smell it. Okay. Um, sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, smell has a lot to do with t- taste. It certainly does. Yeah. In the article I was reading, they said like they would put wasabi, the scent of wasabi, and then eat chocolate off the fork, and it would be interesting combinations. Huh. A long way to go, but you know. I mean, I would just put some wasabi and some chocolate if I wanted that's to. True. Get, but I mean, but sh- but no, that's that's fascinating. It is another fascinating fork, the smart fork. First the smelly fork, now the smart fork. Uh, at the yearly tech convention, CES, in 2013, a company released a fork that will monitor how many bites you take and your rate of food intake. Ooh, I'm not sure that's information I want to know. If you ate too fast, it would vibrate the way that your phone does when you get a text message uh, to tell you to slow down. Uh, the idea here being that if you eat more slowly, um, allowing feedback from your stomach to go on and reach your brain, you'll consume less overall. It's a weight loss tool. Hmm. And because it provided that vibration, um, which in the industry is called haptic feedback because it relates to your sense of touch, it was called the happy fork. <laughs> well, yeah, which that's is pretty good. Also, yeah, pretty good pun. It's still on the market, but I'm not sure how popular it's ever gotten. <laughs> I could use some reminders to slow down when I'm eating. Oh, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I've got other stuff to do. Sometimes. I, I, sometimes well, I want to enjoy it. Sometimes I'm just like, meh. There's a difference between eating quickly and eating like you're a starving animal, <laughs> which is what I, f- I frequently find myself doing. And then I'm not sure why. Like, yeah. why am I acting like I have no time to eat ever again? <laughs> anyway, enough about my eating habits and the work I might need to do to improve them. 
Um, something that I frequently need reminders about are table etiquette. Oh. Yeah. I like never went through like cotillion or anything like that. So I'm basically a mess at a table. Um, yeah, I, always I just feel have to look. really bad. Yeah. Look um, but so, okay. So there are actually two schools of fork etiquette. Of course. As we mentioned earlier, the American style is, is the zigzag kind of thing. Um, but, for, but first the, the, okay. So, so the, the European style. In the continental tradition that developed during the 1800s, it's considered a proper etiquette to hold your fork in your non-dominant hand tines down. Okay. And the way the way that you should hold it here, uh, you you okay, you, you you hold the base of the fork's handle at the base of your palm. Uh huh. Your thumb and finger grip the stem of the fork, and then you stabilize the neck of the fork with your index finger. Okay. Okay. Uh huh. All right. Try this with a pen if you're at home, or if you have a fork, that's even better. <laughs> um, the, the the fork though stays in that position, and the knife in your dominant hand is used to both cut food and to kind of push it gently onto the downward tines of the fork. Okay. Okay. Uh-huh. Properly speaking, you would set the knife down when you're not actively using it, but uh, some places, especially the English, do just kind of hold on to it the whole time. Oh man. Yeah. I feel like I'm going to be tested on this later. <laughs> oh yeah, we're we're about to take a field trip. I'm totally gonna see if I can put this put this to oh, use. Oh yes. Um, in this tradition, in the uh, European continental side, it's generally considered very crass to actually put any part of the fork, except maybe maybe the very tips of the tines, into your mouth. Really? Yeah. Also, that's why Charles Dickens was being all yeah. snooty. Okay. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you're dealing with food that would require putting the silverware in your mouth, it's better to uh, to use the fork or your knife to push that food into your spoon, which is okay to touch your lips as long as you do it from the side of the spoon, not the tip. Okay. So American style. Okay. Um, this is basically old-fashioned European style, but is still considered proper here in America to, um, to okay, to, uh, to use your knife with your dominant hand, with your fork helping stabilize the food with your non-dominant hand, and then, once you've cut a piece of food, you put down the knife entirely, switch the fork to your dominant hand for eating. All right? And you hold this fork, tines up, not tines down. No. Not never tines down. Uh, I, maybe, I don't know. Uh, I don't know your life. Um, but, but yeah, um, and, and you hold it more like you would hold a, hold a pen. So, the, uh, so the, the, the base of the handle rests on kind of the, the meaty bit of your hand between the thumb and, f- and, and in index finger. Um, the neck of the fork is supported in between your index and middle finger, yeah? Mm-hmm. And uh, and then your thumb can balance pressure on the stem of the fork. So, right. Yeah, so it's sort of like a like a like a scoopy things. And it's okay to scoop foods that require scooping like peas, say, mm-hmm. into the curved tines of your fork and to use it like a spoon. In her book The Rituals of Dinner from 1991, Margaret Vizier says of this Denying a modern fork its possible spoon-like use is wantonly perverse. Wantonly. Wantonly. So there you go. I hope I hope that that made some kind of. I, it's hard to describe visual things. I wish we had been filming it because Lauren wow. and I were both <laughs> acting like cavemen trying to learn for the first time <laughs> with with my terrible claw hands. I Sorry. felt very Zoidberg in the middle of all of that. I was just like, "What is it doing? What What are these hand things? I don't understand." I feel like next time I eat, I'm going to pay so much attention to what I'm doing with my hands that I'm going to get confused. Yeah. I have to say, I can't, being an American, not switching hands is very difficult for me to... To manage, yeah. 
yeah, I've tried it. And it just, I want to do it naturally. <laughs> and there's no point. Yeah, and I wind up switching, like, the knife to my non-dominant hand. And then I, I don't. I, it's really it's really silly. You're like, let's just call this whole thing off. I'm like, just bring Go me. Go back to fingers. Yeah, bring me a bowl of soup that I can just drink from. <laughs> exactly. And, like, leave me somewhere outside where I'm not going to embarrass anybody. Mm-hmm. <sighs> That's the scandalous history of the fork. Uh, maybe more questions than you've ever had about the fork. But answered. Answered. Yeah. Dramatically in some Very, cases. Yeah. Ethically yeah. and dramatically. <laughs> so this brings us to our listener mail. Dale wrote, Growing up, I had a neighbor who was from Alsace-Lorraine, and she would make an onion quiche and share with us. Neither my mother nor I liked quiche, so it was kind of a burden. Oh, no. <laughs> One day she brought over half of an onion quiche, and we did not know what to do with it. I asked if I should give it to the dog, and my mother said that it would not be good for her, so we should give it to Dad for dinner, which we did. <laughs> and from that day forward and through the generations, we still tell the kids, don't feed that to the dog, give it to Dad. Oh. By the way, when quiche became popular in the 70s, we discovered that the neighbor was just a terrible cook, and we do, in fact, like quiche. Oh, no. I want to know so much more about this neighbor. Who, who Like, bringing over half of an onion quiche. Uh, and just, li- just yeah, yeah, just like, bye. I'm, she sounds lovely. Um, I right? Would, I would love to know more. Even, even if a terrible cook. Yes. Sophie wrote in response to our Julia Child episode, So, throwback to little 12-year-old Sophie that used to watch Julia Child every week. This was my favorite movie and was always delighted by Julia's personality and vision of what cooking in a common housewife could be. My English grandmother taught me to cook from a young age, and I grew up loving food thanks to her, good old Wendy. I always told myself that I would do the same thing and cook my way through mastering the art of French cooking. But as I grew into a teenager and then an adult, I forgot about my cooking dream. Until I listened to your podcast on Julia, and I have now ordered my copy on Mastering the Art of French Cooking, and have set up an Instagram to document my journey. That's so cool. Ah, thank you, Sophie. Yeah, I'm very excited for for you and your journey, and I'm just sad that we can't try the food. Thanks to both of you for writing in. Yes. If you would like to write in to us, you can do so. Our email is foodstuff at howstuffworks.com. We are also on social media. You can find us on Instagram at foodstuff and also on Facebook and Twitter at foodstuffhsw, stands for How Stuff Works. We hope that we hear from you. Uh, we hope that Dylan does not completely hate us. That's Dylan Fagan, our wonderful producer. And we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach! Give me great food. Tacos! Give me adventure. Hiking! Give me a date night. Sunset cruise! Give me some smiles. Cheese! 
Give me more beaches. Beaches! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 